Friends, welcome to the Eric Deem Show. It is my pleasure to come to you here. It's a remote week. I'm working remotely at a super secret location. And because of that, my benevolence as dictator here, chief really, of the Eric Deem Show, I have given JB and Lutz a week off. So they'll be coming back for the Deem's List this Friday, our Week in Review segment. But um, today it's just you and me. And I can't wait to see what the weekend review is going to be like. Um, if you're in Georgia, go vote. If you care about preserving the constitutional republic, vote Republican. And if you're anything like me, that might mean that you have to hold your nose. But it's not the first time we've had to do it, and it won't be the last. Take the long view. Preserve the country. So this week, I wanted to come back and, um, first of all, say I hope your new year is off to a great start. Folks, we made it to 2021. 2020 is hindsight, truly. Hindsight is 2020. And I hope you've taken time to really think about what that means. Here at the Eric Deem Show, I have two different kinds of shows, right? I have the Tuesday show, which is the Eric Deem Show. Basically me talking about things that matter things I grew up with, the, the pragmatism that I grew up with and how that affects life. It's a variety show. It's a talk show. My voice coming in, tickling your ears with pragmatic prowess, as I like to say. Uh, and I want your feedback. I love hearing from you, chief at ericdeemshow.com or on the socials at ericdeemshow. Please keep them coming. I really enjoyed the last few episodes that I got to do with you, uh, both Christmas and New Year's weeks. Um, they were really great. I I had a lot of fun. Your, your feedback, your comments, your emails to me of how they've impacted you and how you've been able to put some of the practices that I have used in my life um, to work. And I appreciate the feedback. I appreciate uh, hearing more of your stories and how you kind of set up. Some of you have decided to not do New Year's resolutions again um, and to never do them again. And hearing how you reset and refocus for your year is really nice. So thanks for sharing. Keep the conversation going. And I would encourage you to go back and listen. You know, I, my goal is to create evergreen content with the Eric Deem Show, um, whether it be talking about hobbies, where they've gone, whether it be talking about community, the importance of it for us. Uh, those episodes are out there. Please go back, listen to them. The Deem's List is more of a week in review. But still, I'd like to think there's some good nuggets there for you, especially our New Year's and Christmas Day Deems list, where we had a special list of things that um, I really was pondering on. So go back, listen to those episodes. But today, I want to take time and you know pay tribute to Nashville, the city that really helped me become a more confident version of who I am. I think that's a fair way of putting it. The beauty of Nashville, to me, is big city with a small town feel. When I first came to Nashville, I was in high school, came down to visit a friend, fell in love with the city. It was the only other place I've ever experienced that, for me personally, is Washington, D.C., where I'm walking around, I'm in a city, and there's an energy, there's a light, there's um, there's something that connects deep to me as a person in my soul, and Nashville was that. It was before I had chosen where to go to college, and so that led to me choosing to be here in Nashville. I did, as many of you know, I did my undergrad at Belmont University, which 
um, you may recall, hosted the final presidential debate this past year and also hosted a debate back in 2008 when I was a student. Um, and then I also stayed in Nashville, started my career after a brief stint in D.C., came back. It's helpful to come back to a place that has um, no state income tax and used Nashville as a home base to start my real estate career um, and continue doing that until going to Vanderbilt for my MBA, going to business school there. So Nashville has been a huge piece in the Eric S. Deems puzzle. And I'm very thankful to Nashville. Nashville has evolved. It continues to grow. Nashville, boy, I don't know when this was. It might have been back in 2013 or somewhere in that time. There was an article written called Red Hot Town, and or the It City. And maybe it was Red Hot Town as well. Um, it City. And it was really talking about Nashville and kind of opens up Bricktop's West End, which is kind of the spot for the business lunch, back whenever we had business lunches. But shout out to Bricktop's on West End because I have still had several, several great business lunches despite the pandemic, which I think is now an epidemic. Is that right? Have we, have we downgraded this thing yet? Um, I think it's an epidemic. It might not even be that. I was reading a uh, CDC report comes out that the flu... Uh, seasonal flu is down precipitously. Um, COVID, of course, continues to rise because they're counting cases. And if you test once and you're positive, well, you're going to test positive again. And that will not be one case. That will be two cases or however many cases you decide to contribute to the numbers. So uh, statistics, uh, too many quotes out there about statistics being lies and damn lies, I think. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Nashville. Nashville's tourism is what made it what it is. Uh, music industry, sure, that was kind of what put it on the map. But as of late, the last well, half decade or so, it's been tourism. And uh, there was the show Nashville that was out there t letting everybody know of this great city where seemingly everybody, I guess, wears cowboy hats and boots and goes honky-tonking. But... Um, you get here and you realize that's not quite the case, unless you're part of a bachelor or bachelorette party, and then it's just the M.O. So uh, a lot of businesses have struggled this year, and Nashville's identity is, you know, really, it, it's still intact, but a lot of locals are really concerned and have been concerned, and this pandemic has allowed many of us to think, is this the Nashville that we fell in love with. You know, I remember back in March, whenever the pandemic first hit and we started locking things down, which we now know lockdowns don't work. I'm thankful for the governor of Tennessee and his pragmatism. I wish the governor here in Ohio, Governor DeWine, would take more lessons out of his playbook. But nonetheless, state of Tennessee didn't lock down. There were suggestions, uh, power given to local uh, authorities, Nashville locked down. I remember having to go out and run a couple of errands, uh, post office box or whatever, and it felt like the Nashville I moved to 14, 15 years prior. There's no traffic on the road. You know, Nashville's had the growth of, what is it, about 100, 100 people a day, somewhere in the 70s of net new residents, 75 net new residents a day. And you're like, well, where are these people coming from? Well, we have here... Uh, uh, net migration flows. It looks like if you exclude um, 
you know, Knoxville and Memphis and Clarksville and Chattanooga, if you exclude those cities, most people are coming from uh, Atlanta, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, and D.C. Pretty interesting. And they're coming in big numbers, too, by the way. Um, where is Nashville losing people? Actually, Nashville is losing people to Naples, which I found interesting, but makes sense. Um, but Louisville and Chattanooga are the top places where uh, Nashville residents are moving. I understand both of those. I have friends who've moved to Louisville and friends who have moved to Chattanooga. Some of them still have businesses in Nashville, by the way. They just like the smaller town feel that Louisville and Chattanooga have preserved or still have. You know, give it a decade and we'll see what happens. But Nashville's evolving. It's changing a lot. Friends that I went to undergrad or even grad school with that don't live here come back and the new buildings in the air, skyscrapers changing the skyline of the iconic music city. What do you do? So while some things change for the good, for the better, one thing seems to always remain, at least in Nashville, and that is the Nashville No. <laughs> How many of you know about this? The Nashville No. That's N-O. Nashville No. The opposite of yes. The best way to describe this is the Nashville No feels emotionally, <laughs> sounds a lot like yes, but it's a no. You know, in the South, you have these kind of colloquialisms like uh, bless your heart and those kinds of things. Think of it in that kind of vein. One of the things I love most about this city, Nashville, it's allowed me to become who I am and gave me the courage to be able to start this show. So, you know, all of that together, I'm very thankful and have a lot of gratitude toward Nashville, but we've got to have, we can't, we've got to take off the rose-colored glasses um, from a Nashville song. There you go. Uh, when we're looking at the city, what it has been, what it is today, and where it's going, one of the things I love most is if you ever ask for a meeting, you you use I mean you always get the first meeting. That's kind of the way Nashville works. And I've been involved with the Chamber of Commerce and the Mayor's office and the Governor's office. And every time we recruit new businesses, uh, whether that be um, you know major headquarters leaving California and coming here or expanding businesses moving another division from Atlanta, Charlotte, or New York, and, and bringing them here to Nashville or the Nashville Metro, it's always said at the groundbreaking or, you know, the soiree welcoming them back when we had those, remember? It's always said, and don't forget, in Nashville, we take the first meeting. And I think you may not get the second meeting, but you get the first meeting. I think that is so great for the culture of allowing people an opportunity to get ahead with where they are and build meaningful, lasting relationships, connecting the dots. Now, I think some of our New York and maybe Chicago folks who have moved here aren't quite used to that, and I'm sure hoping they're tuning in so that we could remind them that, no, the Nashville business community doesn't revolve around you. <laughs> and the Nashville community is all of us revolving around together. 
You would say Silicon Valley is the natural place for technology, but I would say maybe. If you're dealing with health tech, healthcare technology, Nashville already has the spine of healthcare, and it makes sense to build it here. So we're getting a lot more tech focus happening. The Entrepreneur Center is a great organization. I've been a member there for years. Um, EO, Entrepreneur Organization, been a part of that. Great organization for entrepreneurs. Our business schools here in town, uh, Vanderbilt, the Owen School at Vanderbilt, um, the Massey School at Belmont, great schools, turning out great leaders that are coming into our businesses, both on the entrepreneurial side and also on the corporate side. So there's a lot of great things happening, but the Nashville no persists because a lot of the folks, the family offices, the investment groups here in town, when you think of how they made their money, the money that they're trying to preserve and grow, the steady rate, fill in the blank, it was made not on technology. Technology, you can't walk into technology like you can walk into bricks and mortar. So there's an evolution mindset. And a lot of the uh, the old guard is still, if they're not showing up every day, they're still showing up to the major decisions. So there's still a big evolution happening. And I think the pandemic and um, just the rate of change in technology will speed this up for better, I think. But it gets, uh, it, you know, you get uh, strung along, you know, uh, you have this great idea, this great venture concept, what you need to do, and you meet with some of the VC po folks in Nashville, a couple of private equity guys, maybe some family offices, whatever, and they like you. There's great conversations, but it's the Nashville no. Same thing happens in the music world. I have so many friends. When you go to Belmont, uh, we like to say we, uh, we don't have any uh, Heismans because we're going for the Grammys. Right, Our football team is still undefeated because it's never existed. You're not even allowed to play football on the lawn over there you, without getting in trouble. Um, okay, maybe that was a cheap shot. But still, they treat their grass very, very delicately and serious. They take it very seriously. But anyway, music, everybody has a song. That's why I always told folks, if, if you want to make it in music, you'd be far better off becoming a big deal in a small town and then moving to Nashville out of convenience, right? I mean, yeah, it's easy to look at, uh, everybody loves pointing to Taylor Swift and what she did. Well, look behind the curtain at what occurred there. The point is, the Nashville, no, come and, come and perform at our restaurant or bar, you know, the honky-tonks. I mean, I've seen some of the same people perform in downtown, and their career has become honky-tonk performers. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're actually great musicians. In fact, they're better than some of the people that are at the tops of the charts, instrumentally, vocally, personality. <laughs> they may just not have the jet to get around to perform everywhere. Makes me concerned for the future of Nashville, actually, when um, we keep getting the threats of lockdowns, the insanity of lockdowns, really. We need to keep these places open. Not fall to fear. Not fall to fear. But the Nashville know, yeah, hey, let's come and do a writing, writer's round. You know, some great people are going to be here. Well, you go and you, you really get your hopes up. Uh, this was especially the case when I was a student 
at Belmont. And I, had, I was a musician, right? I'm a pianist. So I would accompany some friends. I would do some demos for them. Got to do some studio things, which was pretty fun, cool. Met some great people. Um, got to go to the Opry, thanks to a good friend of mine, uh, Michael Manning. I would encourage you to check out his podcast, by the way, On the Record with Michael Manning. He actually plays records, has one of the nicest, uh, most thorough and and in-depth record collections probably in the city. So I would encourage you to uh, listen to his podcast. It's great stuff, and we, we've posted some of it. He had a great picking and grinning Christmas edition. Um, but anyway, I, I digress. And several friends, you know, they're whether they're songwriters or they're really talented musicians, and they come and they do the showcases at Belmont, which are great. They're just as as well produced as some of the concerts because you have students actually going to college to learn how to operate lighting boards and sound boards, and they're engineers, and they're really good at what they do. That's why if you go to some of the churches around here, um, they have some of the best produced worship services you'll ever see. These people, this is what they do for a living. And um, it's it's both entertaining, and uh, if you're into that, it can be a good uh, good way for you to connect to your creator. But um, I remember them getting their hopes up because, oh, guess who's going to be here? You know, guess who's coming? And, you know, there are more people in the music business program than there are people in the industry. And so the Nashville No uh, led to a lot of uh, crushed souls, some heartbreak, which, quite frankly, turns into better songs, right? So it all, what goes around comes around. Um, the Nashville No, I... I, I have you ever experienced the Nashville no? No, I'm not talking about all those people that are swiping the wrong way. Um, that, that, that's that's just you. <laughs> I'm talking about the Nashville no, where uh, you're being led on to an opportunity, whether that be a job, or you're being led on to uh, your, your startup getting funded, and you keep going to all these meetings and uh, come to find out. Well, actually, something that happened with me, I presented to a very well-known family, uh, very deep pockets, and six months after I presented to them on a health tech venture that I was part of, oh, well, they announced a health tech venture that was pretty similar. <laughs> so, you know, you just chalk it up as tuition, the time and money you spent getting there, but uh, that could be deflating, especially if your entire identity is is built around this idea. Your entire identity is built around you becoming something that maybe you aren't already, which probably speaks to a bigger issue, probably speaks to a bigger thing, which goes back to what I've said about becoming a big fish in a small pond and moving to Nashville out of convenience. Think of that more metaphorically than literally. But also, define who you are. Don't give the reins to somebody who can say no. None of the greats who achieved anything in life allowed somebody telling them no to define any path forward. Instead, it was fuel to their fire. I mean, politically, how many, what, Abraham Lincoln lost how many times? Persistence kept getting up. There was a great professor, Jermaine Bear, at uh, Vanderbilt, the Owen School. I had the pleasure of getting to know and went to lunch at Bricktops a couple of times. And every email he sent out, he ended his signature with never give up. Never give up. And Jermaine passed, and 
he's left a void in the entrepreneurial community here in Nashville. Um, just the wisdom that he brought to the table. But also the belief that he just exuded that you can make it happen. He probably won't be the way you thought it was going to be. <laughs> the startup probably isn't as fleshed out as you think it needs to be. There's probably somebody else that's more capable, better funded, even a better idea that can pull it off. Adapt or die, right? The concept's either going to adapt or it's going to die. And you're going to be left on the other end of that. You may have some business partners or investors or even job prospects leading you on. Oh, this is going to be great. Can't wait to have you do this. Well, let's get through the pandemic six months later. Well, let's get into the new year. It's in the new year. Well, we need to get back and get settled. Well, you're getting the Nashville no or your version of it. When are you going to start saying yes for you? When are you going to start taking what you want to accomplish, what you want to get done, and giving it your all? When are you going to start taking over the reins, regardless of what anybody else says? So as you resist the Nashville no, define the yes for your life. I want to leave you with this. I recently saw, uh, there's a guy named Pete Davis, graduated from Harvard in 2018. He gave a commencement speech. I tweeted it out, shared it. Somebody shared it with me. I appreciate that. Can't remember who, but he talks about this guy named Pete Davis. He alludes to the word dedicate, and it's two meanings. One, something that's holy. We dedicate something that's holy. Another definition is to choose to commit. Create our own door, whatever we need. If we choose to commit to the dream, to the belief that we can pull something off, to the business, to the startup, to the song, this long hallway of many doors and choosing which door to go down. And I think a lot of times, folks with great ideas, creatives, business folks, entrepreneurs, startups, they feel like they're in a hallway and looking for the right door to open or in a round room, knocking on doors persistently, trying to do this, trying to keep our options open is kind of what he talks about. And he talks about our generation um, we just keep scrolling on Netflix until we find a movie. And 30 minutes go by, and we've yet to find a movie, and now we're asleep. And we haven't watched a movie. We're still looking at options. And you may recall in a previous episode, um, I talked about this um, with regard to... I talked about The Paradox of Choice, the book, uh, back on a previous episode, um, where you have the maximizers and the satisfizers. Go back and listen to that episode. It was a great one that, um, it was the episode on big tech censorship as it relates to kind of the media we get to watch. But um, anyway, Paradox of Choice, he talks about that, it alludes to it in his speech to the Harvard class, which you could argue probably has more options open to them than most of us when we're at that point in our lives. And so he talks about um, the downside of locked doors. I'm going to post this in the show notes. I want you to go and watch it. It's eight minutes. It's worth your time. So, you know, there is the downside of the locked doors, but we also don't want to be stuck in a hallway either. Don't give up. Never give up. And my challenge to you is don't get stuck in the hallway. You may just have to build your own door. You may just have to build your own room. It's not going to be easy. Nothing is easy. And nothing is simple. Everything is complex. He challenges 
everybody there, and I'm extending that challenge to you to build this counterculture of commitment consisting of solid people, people that are willing to do the work, not just continue to browse the options. Find a room and show up. And he lists several folks from Dorothy Day to Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, it probably wasn't the sexiest thing to have the 700th community meeting or, you know, sitting with the same group of people for the 700th night in a row. But there's beauty in that consistency. There's beauty in you finding your own yes. There's something pure and holy about that. And no Nashville no, or any other no for that matter, can stop you. And now if you'll indulge me for just a quick, brief, personal moment, I would like to dedicate this episode to one of the biggest fans of the show, my aunt, Sherry LaVon Wilson Rasmussen. My aunt Sherry passed away yesterday uh, at 51 years old after a, a recent battle that started with COVID and turned into double pneumonia and then turned into a situation where her body just could not fight back. Now, um, we had many, many fun experiences together. Um, you know, she was very special to me, treated me as um, one of her own. Um, I remember many ad adventures, as we call, we call them investigations, and those were fun, great memories growing up, going up to her house. She lived in Belpre for a while um, and then moved up to Lancaster and then up into the Columbus Metro. And so um, I'm going to miss her a lot. She was a big fan of the show, but more importantly, a big fan of me and whoever I wanted to be, and was always there to encourage that. And as you all know, when you grow up, you go through junior high, you go through high school, you're really trying to figure out what mold to fit in. And it didn't matter what mold I was going for, she was always there to encourage me to do that. So she struggled from MS over the last 10 years, which uh, is to account for her weakened immune system where her body just you know, wasn't there to fight as strong, uh, fight as strongly as her will would have had it. She was a fighter, and a witty one, too. You'd always want her to be at your side if you were in the middle of an, an arguing match, for sure. But um, she will be missed. And so, uh, Aunt Sherry, I love you. I miss you. And I can't wait to see you on the other side. <laughs>